Yeah, here. We're fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Get in the Garage. Ow. I'm your co-host, Mike, here with Luke and Jeff. The three, the the Trinity is finally reunited. <laughs> the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. The garage Trinity. <laughs> Halloween's a, you know, it's a busy time of year. We have a lot of graves to dig. We do, yes. <laughs> Lots of spooky stuff happening. Slick stuff, cool stuff, neat stuff. Yes. Uh, how was your Halloween, guys? Did you guys have a nice Halloween? Yeah. I had to work, so I was. I spent the, the scariest thing the day at home. <laughs> the true horror. I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Oh, I gave nice. myself up to absolute pleasure. Sins of the flesh. I watched. I had a gig on the Friday of the Halloween weekend, and uh, I showed up to the gig. The band wore mm-hmm. costumes, but nobody else there wore costumes because it was like two days before Halloween itself. And I was dressed in a tuxedo with a eyes wide shut mask. Yes. <laughs> and people Fidelio. were people were very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do the walk? Did you do like the hands behind your of back, course. just like staring at people? I mentioned Fidelio in at least two different songs as replacement lyrics. I played the creepy piano music in between the songs. For some, it might be too on the nose, Jeff. Oh, and what a uh, nose it was! I had a long <laughs> nine-inch phallic nose on the mask. <laughs> oh, like those, like the black, the bubonic plague style masks, yeah. right? Yeah. And man. I told, I told my drummer, I said, he said, just don't wear, don't wear that mask when, when we're playing. I said, oh, I'm gonna wear, it, and I'm gonna turn to you very creepily at very select moments. <laughs> so we'd like finish the chorus. I'd whip my head and I'd stare at him through the aisles. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, so we do have a topic that we want to cover this week, but I wanted to talk to you, Jeff, real quick, because yeah. we did talk about the My Morning Jacket, the new My Morning Jacket album uh, last traders. episode. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we wanted to get your input on it, uh, how you felt about it, what you thought, um, thoughts, feelings. Yeah, I sometimes a band makes an album, and that's all it is. Yeah. And it's fine. And I like My Morning Jacket. Uh, they're in the upper echelon of current bands that I enjoy, that I kind of like look forward to each new release. It was their first like real release in five years. Because um, they did put out The Waterfall Part 2 uh, in twenty early 2020, maybe. But that was like outtakes and extra tracks from The Waterfall yeah. from five years ago. Um, yeah, it was, it was fine. It's not something I'll probably go back and listen to the whole thing a lot there were some songs i did enjoy i liked the song um complex i liked the song in color and i did i did enjoy uh the album but more as like a background music kind of album yeah there are albums of theirs that i really like front to back um z the waterfall uh it still moves and then there's other albums like evil urges that I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. There's tracks I skip and there's tracks I enjoy and then most of it I just kind of put on and listen to. Um, I did not, this new album, like most of the guitar solos, if not all the guitar solos, seemed like they were Jim James solos, which 
uh, he like plays lead guitar like I play lead guitar, which is like pretty jaggedly and kind of sloppily and more like uh, more personality than actual like notes. But uh, which is kind of a shame because their other guitar player is, I think, a little bit more technically accomplished. But good, uh, good vibe. They're always somewhere in the middle between like uh, Almond Brothers Band and Pink Floyd. They're like musically right in between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing I did, I gotta say, Jim James's voice has been—it's always been my least favorite part of the band because it is so distinct and it's kind of like has that Tom Petty. Not Bob Dylan, but like like that Tom Petty thing for me, which is I really like it on some songs, and then some songs I'm just like, eh, yep, yep, yep. The yep. milk's gone bad. The, the milk's gone, gone bad. bad. I had more and, hands. And as he gets older, it kind of gets more like that for me because it gets a little more boppity boopity. Yeah. Instead of like nice and like crystally and like. Well, because like if you listen to It Still Moves, I feel like that's. Right, because he was young. Yeah. And now everything is like much more like this and. Everything's double tracked now, it yeah. seems like, on his vocals. So it's even thicker and woozier and just kind of like singing. Yeah. Um, we, even, we talked about that too, just the production quality of the vocals on this record versus production quality on the different records. It's, it just, it's, it's different. It kind of sits in the mix a little different. It kind of. It's like Newman with a ton of reverb. Oh, yeah. And he has, like. You know, I think there's something to being a lead singer where having a distinct voice is a great thing because you know immediately it's you. You don't sound like, you know, there's a bunch of bands on the radio where you go, what the fuck band is this? The yeah. singers all sound the same. Um, but yeah, he's just gotten a little bo- bit throatier and mushier as he's gotten older. And I told Luke, I said, yeah, listen to this album. I thought I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, you know, a C plus. And then I put on Z, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, A+. Plus. <laughs> right. Like, you know, they, yeah. they have, there's a more pushing the boundaries and expanding on their sound type of albums, and this is kind of just like put it on, and it's a lot of long tracks, a lot of just jammy things, and which is not my flavor of My Morning Jacket. I, I like the four and a half to five and a half minute songs and not really the like seven and a half to nine and a half minute songs, but. Um, Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. That's right. <laughs> so, overall, I I say C plus when I think of a My Morning Jacket album. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. B, you know it's a B minus B album. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's fine. Yeah, it's a couple songs know. I enjoyed, and then a lot of just okay background music. Yeah, that's what we were saying too. Is like it's it's definitely it is it's background music for sure. Yeah, they're so long. The lo- songs are so long. Yeah. Yes. Because almost every song was six minutes plus. Yeah. What was the What was the one super long track we were talking about last week? Oh, it's uh, the um, it's the one that references the uh, the mall. And Z, you know, Z is a forty-seven minute album. This yeah. is a sixty-one minute album, mm-hmm. and it makes a difference. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what Luke said too. As I, I'm so telling like you, 45, man, 45 minutes, the my, sweet spot yeah. for an album. My like album listening thing. I'm like just songs. I was like, this album could have been two songs less. I was like, put it oh, out yeah. on a single. Just do. I don't know. Um, that song is called uh, the. I think it's called the. Um, the, the devils in the, the details. details. Devils in the yeah, details. That's the one. Minutes and forty seconds or something. Yeah. Just like yeah, just trim the fat. Trim the fat. Like if you. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like reduce it. Reduce it down to like every song. But that's what they killer, like. You know? They are. They are in that jammy. You also have to think of too thing. is this to them probably was cutting it down. So yeah, because it's only you, an hour. You, you got to think of yeah. that too. They probably recorded. 
three hours, two hours of music. They have a, they have two or three other albums that are 70, 75 minutes yeah. long. Oh, yeah. So, True. I mean. I think it still moves is probably 70 minutes. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. quite a long. Do you want to... Uh, Yes, Transition let's change into... gears. Today, we are going to slap at the base. This, uh, this episode is a month in the making. Yeah. This episode was supposed to be the the first, or I should say, this episode was supposed to be the episode where it was me, Jeff, and Jade. That was supposed right. to be the bass player episode, and then we've since did the one with the three of us, the Guitar Center ranting, and then the, <laughs> uh, and then the uh, episode with myself, Luke and Jade. Uh, My brother said he used. enjoyed your ranting. He liked the Lorax references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Danny DeVito. <laughs> I am the Lorax. So, yeah, well, now we're actually talking about some more substantial uh, matters, which we're going to discuss uh, yeah. our, our favorite bass players. We each have five that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, maybe some honorable mentions at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. If we get to it. Yeah, if we get to it. Uh, well, Jeff, why don't you lead us off, man? Uh, we well, I should say, preface this with saying, like, we each picked five of our favorite bass players. Um, I mean, there's so many good ones, but yeah, um, I'll lead we off. We each kind of have our own vibe for our lists, so yeah. Um, so my and this is no order, I guess. But the first one I'll talk about voted the greatest bass player of all time by people on Rolling Stone magazine and probably a million other publications. Motown's longtime bass player, James Jamerson, who uh, the claw. He's the claw. He some some things, some gear stuff. He played with one finger, and it's kind of crazy. You can like watch video of him playing live, and you can't even believe that he's playing what he's playing with one finger because mm. he is the guy who who really in pop music and R and B music of the '60s. Instead of just doing the like doom 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 kind of country thing, he was doing like doom 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 like really all over the place. He uses a lot of open strings because he does play with pluck with only one finger. Um, he's a precision bass player. Uh, he flat wound strings most of the time, if not all the time. Um, they recorded the Motown stuff straight into the console. So that's why you get like a really saturated tone and they're not micing an amplifier. And uh, he played on like every R&B song you could think of yeah. for from like 1962 until 19... I mean, he died relatively young. So let me actually double check when he died. Because um, I think he was like in his yeah mid-40s. So he died in 1983. So he played through like the last... Uh, Marvin Gaye era of like let's get it on and uh, sexual healing and all that stuff. Um, some songs he did play on. Let's see. Oh, can can I shout one out that yeah. I love? Can't uh, Can't Hurry Love by the Supremes. Can't Hurry Love. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, great yeah. baseline song. Um, the simple one that's always stayed as like play only what's necessary. My Girl by the Temptations. That was the next one that popped in my head. Um, Dance in the Street. Martha and the Vandellas heard it through the grapevine. By Gladys Knight and the Pips, and also on the Marvin Gaye recording, um, "Higher and Higher," the Jackie Wilson song, uh, a million Stevie Wonder songs, a million Marvin Gaye songs, a million Supreme songs, yeah, "Temptations," uh, Four Tops, uh, you know every Motown band or singing group. Yeah, um, Smokey Robinson, the Mayor's Smokey Robinson, 
Yeah. And the miracles. I always think his last name is something different. Um, but yeah, so I just. Yeah, I just, you looked at me and I was like, yeah, of course. And you were like. Because I always, sometimes I say like Smokey Wilson. And I'm like, that's definitely not his They're going to do the smoke man like that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he, he's voted number one for a reason because. He is the goat. Yeah. In the time I mean, of, it was the time of the doom, 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 the like Oompa one five type of country based uh, bass playing. And he made it more of a counterpuntal like the bass line would have its own unique melody against what the melody of the vocals was and just very tasteful and pretty much like he was a guy where he would play these intricate lines on verse one and then verse two he would just change a couple phrases but enough where you noticed and it was like it would he would change it only because like the vocals would go somewhere else so he'd kind of like follow the vocals or go against the vocals um just excellent bass tone, and if you listen, go on YouTube and look up Isolated Bass Tracks by James Jamerson, and you'll just think, like, oh, this dude is doing this, like, in the times where, like, everyone was clapping on one and three, and this guy's playing <laughs> yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, just very dexterous and very uh, influential player, and since he played on so much, he played on, I don't know, like, fucking 200 number one, like, on you, you've some You've probably charts. heard this bass player more than probably any other bass player we're going to talk about yeah. today. So. yeah. Mem- and just memorable lines. And his the thing with him, too, is that, you know, you listen to the music and you think, like, how hard could this be to learn? And then you go oh to learn it God. and you're like, oh, what? And, like, when yeah. I like when I first started picking up bass again, I'm, yeah. like, go, you know, and, and kind of being like, all right. Because initially when I started picking up playing bass when I was younger, it was the Cliff Burtons and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. More recently, I picked up bass again and I was like, oh, let me let me try to get into this James Jamerson stuff. How hard could it be? And then I was like, uh, he's breaking my brain. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, he, wait a minute. He's playing smoothly on yeah, these counter he, rhythms. He didn't dig in hard. He played a lot of syncopation. And since he was only playing with the one finger, he did a lot where, like, you would play stuff up on the low E string, but then you would play like an open D string because you just needed a D in the middle of this line. So it was like he was doing these skip string patterns yeah. to make the melody flow more, for more the phrases. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it is very. I've tried to learn a couple. I've I've learned like two that I feel like oh I play these pretty well, but then you think well I can't do them with one fucking one finger. I well, right, that. right, and I think the thing too is that. It's the combination of like the Fender Precision bass, the flat wound strings, and he would also wedge foam yeah. down by the bottom, like where the bridge was, and uh, that it kind of added this sort of it, it dampened and deadened the sound as well. So you don't really have the you know the, in other words, the, nothing really rings out for a long yeah. period of time. It's kind of like doom, doom. and it puts an emphasis so like some. Music nerd stuff puts emphasis on the fundamental, which is the note you're actually playing, as opposed to harmonic series, which is the higher right. things that you hear ringing behind the note. Um, and because he had that da- dampened, deadened sound, his lines were more like how you would sing the line mm-hmm. because the strings weren't clanging against each other ever. It was always just very fluid. Um, yeah, so he's the first one to mention. And yeah, you could go on go on Spotify. You can look up like just James Jamerson, and the Spotify list is like nine hours of music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah just, and he um, and uh, he. I think his bass tone and his setup became the. It's it's an industry standard, you could call it, because I mean it's pretty much like any time yeah. a bass player, a session bass player goes into play, it's almost always P bass with flat bounds, 
you know i mean yeah, with or without you know the mu- the muffled uh uh foam in the bridge but um mm. but yeah i mean it's it's pretty much the industry standard so yeah um yeah. so if we're going to be moving on here i um did my list here and uh we'll sort the pattern out here so um i'm going to start with something completely different i'm going to go with uh Kira Rossler from Black Flag um, she's not the original bass player in Black Flag, but one I think is highly influential. So um, this is why I want to talk about her. I think she's good. Um, Kira Rossler started playing bass at age 14 um, and became very proficient at it uh, very young. She played like her first gig at 16 at the Whiskey Go-Go with um, you know, local bands. Um, so Black Flag kind of imploded after their first record came out, and um, they released the album My War, which is a lot heavier and a lot less punky, a lot more sludgy. Um, they heard Kira Rossler rehearsing with another band, um, and Black Flag heard her play, and they were like, oh, she's nimble and can actually play the bass, and came from a foundation of I'm a bass player, not somebody who wants to be a punk or, you know what I mean, is yeah. a musician first. Um, so she played a, um, Rickenbacker bass, um, with her fingers, um, no pick, um, and was able to play very, very steadily, um, very fast, um, 16th notes, um, and she was also able to play, um, very slow and still in time with the band, um, and not getting lost in the sludge, and she was a very good timekeeper, um. So that's pretty much why I wanted to lay it out here and also wanted to put her on this list because being in Black Flag and a female um, would almost seem um, counterintuitive um, because Black Flag is very um, male anger, male point of view, um, and all that centric. And so when you insert somebody like her into the band Black Flag, it brings a different energy in and one that um, I think – her herself um man like um you know was interesting for her to work out personally and how you fit in that energy and i think she really put in a lot of um um into those like male centric angry songs put in a certain kind of um feminine energy that played in the songs just on that level Hmm. um and besides all that i want to talk about her bass playing bass playing um i think it's Best so like Black Flag Records for me the production is always like garbagey and doesn't sound good. <laughs> Greg Ginn, um, you don't say. Well, Greg Greg Ginn he was just he was more into like punishing the audience in a recording than to really reward them for like mission know. accomplished. Right. Greg. So, um, she does have great great um stuff on record. I would point to her, her first album with the band um Slip It In um. My Ghetto is a, like um, a song that I would point to as her precision. It's very fast. Um, it's like halftime, so it's like da 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 da, and she plays very like dum 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 dum, very nimbly around on that song, and it's so in time. And you couldn't have like a sloppy bass player do it. You just needed yeah. somebody that could really play. She's that person. Um, so besides that, I would also check out um, the Black Flag albums live in '84 and Who's Got the Ten and a Half. Um, because these really show the bass out in full force. Um, songs like "Slip It In," where she's going, um, and she's playing like, you know, very intricate rhythms fast, which is very hard to do because you're putting rhythm into a 
that. So you're also bringing another whole energy. And like no other punk bands, hardcore bands, were even coming close to putting like a rhythmic thump into the bass. It was always just a straight line. She was digging in, clawing. You said uh, the first album she was on was Slip It In. Yes. What year was that? Uh, I think that's 1984. They released Slip It In, um, Family Man, and uh, Live in 84 all in the same year year with her on it. So their most prolific period is all her bass playing. And you said she played a Rick? Yes, a Rick so that's why, but that's why you know the Rickenbacker has that cutting the tonal quality. Yeah, yeah it's like super, but b- breakthrough mid tone that but, can get really sort of crispy and. But could you imagine if you're not a good bass player and you're playing with oh, a it pick? Like garbage. It's oh, it's like, easy to fuck up a Rickenbacker. That's what I'm saying. Tone, so yeah. Rickenbacker is like Lemmy. Yeah, uh, Chris Squire. You can't hide early Cliff Burton. Yeah, yes. it's it's very driving and cutting and yeah. Yeah, you can't. There's no place to hide. (laughs) It's kind of like a strat in contrast for like a guitar player where it's like those single coils, they don't lie. You know, like you have to, you kind of have to. (laughs) And and that's why I really wanted to throw it out there too because she really just like threw the instrument in a whole different level. And honestly, like all the bands that came after that, they all have that kind of like in the um, grunge era, they have a lot of like that bass where the um the bass is growling out like a rhythm underneath yeah that's very you know like that kind of stuff and that's really a lot of her mm-hmm. um just coming you know in, in watch watch a video of her play because you'll get a whole new respect for it she's intense yeah. dialed in and she's consistent to a point where like no, I, I can't really think of another bass player in this role that could be as consistent. So. And not for nothing, credit to her in the way where she's like kind of entering at the time, especially a very male dominated domain, and to go in and just kick as much ass as she kicked too. Like fuck yeah, man! Like also hell New, ha- yeah. New Haven Zone. New Haven Zone. That is also correct. I had that. I was going to say Haven. that, but I didn't say for, it. Like she was born and went to like elementary school in New Haven. Blood in the streets yes. in the <laughs> town of New Haven. Um, yeah, it's. It, it all the things you said are because punk music is not my music, but um, I did listen to Family Man. I did listen to Slip It In, and her playing is it's good playing. So do you, oh, yeah. Family Man, so so. Bad. <laughs> So when good. I say it's not my kind of music, I'm being very understated. <laughs> Family Man kind of is music. not my album, but it uh, sounds like I'll... a swarm of bees trapped in a in an <laughs> echo chamber. Yes, delete that. Put on a put on a blender and scream over it. That's basically <laughs> how I feel. But I I, lo- I I I'm a sucker for it though. I yeah. I do I do love me some Black Flag. Uh, I will contrast. <laughs> The, the punk, and uh, I will go into the direction of a bass player that I think is kind of like a sleeper when you're talking about the con- when you're having the conversation of like greatest bass players of all time. Uh, I think he's kind of a sleeper in the same way that, say, maybe one of his bandmates was as a drummer. I'm gonna go with Sir Paul McCartney mm. as my first selection. Um, again, this is in no particular order. But uh, Paul McCartney iconically played uh, what was it? The, in yeah, the Beatles. The, the hot, well, no, I was gonna, well, yeah, of course. All right, the Beatles. Yeah, wait, who were they? No, um, I was gonna refer to the bass that he played. I know you. Uh, the Hofner five hundred one, um, and that's sort of like the semi hollow body, small it, violin kind, bass. Yeah, it's a violin bass. Thank you. Yeah, it's the early Beatles stuff. Yeah. And um, he would later go on to favor uh, Rickenbacker. 
in the in the recording uh, area of things. Um, also a lefty, but I think that you know his uh, his base style aligns sort of with the James Jamerson vibe. Uh, where it's there's a lot of like you know the Motown influence and then also the influence of like the early rock and roll Elvis Presley Little Richard and all that. Um, I mean you can uh, a place where I think like you know his bass playing really shines. You know Maxwell Silverhammer the boom 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 boom. I'm a I'm a day, I'm a day tripper guy. Yeah yeah I mean uh, but even come together dum 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 like it's you know he. You like you don't realize the iconic bass lines. I mean, you do if well, you're a Beatles fan, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's like he, I think he's a sleeper. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves as a bass player, no. as a songwriter, as a pop star, as a Beatle. Of course, he gets all the accolades. I mean, he's knighted for God's sake. He's you know, but I think as a bass player, um, you know, give him his flowers, man, because he's he's a good he's a good bass player. He's very uh, melodic. Because you yes. just hummed, we just hummed like four of them because they're so. Because he's a singer and a songwriter. Yes, they're yeah. all very super melodic. Right. I like his really out of tune bass playing on the White Album, but then yes. again, every instrument's out of tune on the White <laughs> Album. <laughs> um, yeah, he's and not just the Beatles stuff, but all of his solo and Wings right. stuff. Um, Silly right. love songs. Yeah. Dum 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 dum. Because there are, you can look in the credits of. Especially like the Beatles stuff, people have poured over like who played what, and there are a couple of tracks that he didn't play bass on that like John Lennon played on, but he played bass on like ninety nine percent of their stuff. Yeah, and a pick player as well. He played some finger style stuff, but yeah. predominantly a pick uh, pick player. Which don't hate on the pick players. No, to it's all, all the to all the bass player it's purists. A, it's yeah. a d- different strokes different, for different folks. Yeah. It does a yeah. different thing. sound. Yeah. Pick fingers. Thumbing, or, or plucking, just, slapping. We have to say plectrum because he's a Brit. Plectrum, that's true. Plectrum. Um, yeah, he's a great bass player, and he, uh, I don't know. You say he's underrated. Not in my book. He's he was my in my top five, but I figured I would. Let, yeah. Let you. Thank you. Have him. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, because he's just uh, because it is so melodic and it's so. It is definitely like he is a James Jamerson acolyte of like for sure. Oh, I love the American sure. blues and Motown R and B stuff. Like that's the style. I want yeah, to and I I definitely think that he was just as much of an influence on mm-hmm. you know how a bass, especially because all right, you know obviously you know the Beatles toured a bunch in the very beginning, but then they just kind of became exclusively a uh, studio band. But I think that the Paul McCartney. Uh, sa- like it's its own sound you know what I mean it's like in in the in a studio setting like if you were a session player and you went in they'd be like all right uh what's yeah. you know like in terms of what style you're gonna play on this all right can you do a Paul McCartney thing yeah you know like that's a thing so you know you have to mm-hmm. give credit what credit's due there I mean yeah like you said obviously when you we you know when I say underrated I mean in terms of like kind of like mm. you know if you were to look at like the the master lists of like the greatest but oh actually you know what though he's high on that list he's pretty high on the list too yeah, yeah now that I think of it because I think but I still seen... underrated because he is in my opinion he's a top five pop music bass player right time, right so a hundred percent yeah so so there it is Paul McCartney um my second choice is the a bass. bass player who's still rocking I think he's He's probably in his early 60s now, and that's uh, Welsh bassist Pino Palladino, who has been a longtime session guy since, like, 
possibly the late seventies, definitely from the early, early eighties. And through his career, his sound has kind of morphed over all of the styles of pop music. Um, he started out in the eighties, especially playing a lot of Mike's favorite sound, which is the, <laughs> which is the fretless music man stingray. Um, he played all that stuff when that like peter gabriel style was very that tony levin sound was very popular he uh was a session guy and uh just (laughs) he was the first call session guy with that sound and it's not the most hip sound now but (laughs) it's it has its its purpose yeah and uh he went on in the 90s he was a session guy with all the neo soul people he played on, uh, very notably, D'Angelo's solo albums, and he was like, it was the renaissance of soul music in the late 90s. Soulquarians. Soulquarians with um, Questlove and Erica Badu and Common and James Poyser and uh, Bilal, et cetera, et cetera. And his style then, in the 90s, became precision bass, flat wounds, normally tuned down to D standard. So you take all the strings, you drop them down a whole step and doing that just like you'll still like in D standard, you'd still be playing E's and F sharps and all that stuff. But because the tuning is a little lower and the strings a little slacker, everything sounds slightly thicker and gooier. And, um, he had this very, uh, distinct sound and groove in the late nineties that kind of like blew everybody's mind and him with Questlove and do, especially the D'Angelo stuff did this like push pull between the drums and the bass because the drums would be like slightly like not fully timed together and the bass would be the thing kind of sagging even further behind it so listen to the D'Angelo solo albums especially listen to I mean he only has three honestly so listen it's to, not listen gonna take not, you that long listen to, listen to those three but Voodoo is the one that's the one from 2000 the middle of D'Angelo one um, but yeah, distinct style. And then he became John Mayer, uh, one of John Mayer's two go-to guys, the other one being Sean Hurley. Um, but he notably played on John Mayer's trio album and all the trio gigs that he did in the early, in the mid two thousands. Um, he's been the studio guy for John Mayer on about half of the stuff since that time, Sean Hurley doing the other half, but, uh, yeah, doing that P bass thing and, you know, going, digging in really hard if the song requires it just barely playing the notes and just giving the presence if it needs it sitting in the groove pushing if he wants to or if it calls for it or sagging behind um just very very tasteful player and he recently put out his first solo album i think it was at the end of last year um a solo album with him and blake mills as the headliners uh chris dave plays drums on it and uh it's just like instrumental music that's very moody and cool and like kind of like just atmospheric r&b music um with kind of like world music instruments and some modern day mood music if you will yeah it was it's awesome um Um, i would also also like to point out that he was the replacement for john enswistle in the who (laughs) after he passed away and continues to do that role to this day um yes which is also pretty that's a huge bass player role to fill and he does it just just fine even you know Yeah. yeah and his tone is just so it's so yeah. good. I was watching. What was the? Maybe you mentioned it. But what was that? What was the really famous baseline? There was like a. I remember watching like a news story when they were asking him how he came up with the baseline. Any hat? Uh, uh, 
You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Anywhere I lay my hat is my home. In the, yes. one in the 80s, I used to, took the riff from Tchaikovsky, I think. Or, okay, or right. Stravin- Stravinsky. Stravinsky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what's crazy about him too, though, is that he is not really like he doesn't really know theory. Like he's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's he's pretty he much can't just, read music. He right. says he can't read music. Yes. Yeah. Which I don't. Possible. I mean, I, mean, I guess. I mean, but Paul McCartney technically. He's been playing. Either, but. He's been playing every style of music for as long as for 40 years. Right. Um, he also played uh, at least on one tour with Nine Inch Nails. So, like, a dude who's very versatile, who plays P bass with flat rounds is, like, his go-to thing, but he also plays jazz bass if it calls for it. He plays a Mustang bass if it calls for it. Um, a, a key to his stuff is, like, he, I think, is, like, six foot five with, like, fucking praying mantis hands. <laughs> like, so he, sometimes when he plays stuff, you watch the video, and it looks like he's barely moving his fingers, but then you, like, zoom in, and you're like... Yo, he's skipping like four frets with each time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes, because um, like somebody with like my size hands yeah, is oh, like no. I would look like you know yeah. I'm, I'm playing a million notes, and yeah. his hand is just anchored on like the one, yeah. and he's reaching all the way down to like the sixth fret. Yeah, and you're just yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah, just a monster, incredible and, talent, man, and yes. plays every style I really, perfectly. I really loved how yeah. you pointed that out. How his hand almost <laughs> looks like so it never huge. moves because he'll sit there and he's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, like he'll it, play like, and he never looks, he never looks like he's struggling. He's just, like, he's just yeah whatatever relaxed yeah, yeah. very relaxed yeah bro, he's a pro's pro yeah great session guy yeah yeah so uh yeah here's uh my second pick coming in hot i'm gonna go uh with uh i'm gonna i'm gonna try s- s- switch up styles here okay we're gonna go with uh carol k um hmm. who is a bass player um who is a part of the famous wrecking crew in la in the um late 50s to probably like mid 70s um where they were really active um so carol k was originally a guitar player um but then when a bass player didn't show up for a session one day she switched over to the bass um and then soon became like the number one called bass player in that um industry um so a little bit like about her she um plays bass um with a pick a lot um she would play up in the higher registers um because a lot of those sessions would have a double bass um doing the low end um she was very inventive oh phone call over here sorry, what is this sorry so she unprofessional. was very inventive in um innovating the bass playing with melody as before that a lot of people were playing um root note only and she really went in there and started putting in like counter melodies and a lot of syncopation um in her bass playing um so just to give you an idea of like what c- songs she played on um the almost the entirety of pet sounds she's played bass on almost every single track on that record um also with the beach boys all summer long um she also plays on things like Richie Bomba's um um Richie Valance, La Bamba. I said it backwards. Or I said it mixed Richie together. Bamba. Yes. Um, La Bamba, which is like an earlier rock and roll hit. Um, she also would she play. She was on like the Mamas and the Papas stuff. Yep. Stuff like that. She plays on um, Sonny and Cher's, like the beat goes on. The um, Crystals. Yep. The Crystals. She was um, Phil Spector's, um, right. one of Phil Spector's um, first calls. Um, she's also on the Crystals, then um, then You Kiss Me. Um, Mountain Deep. Yep. Or River, River Deep, Deep Mountain, Mountain High. High, the Phil Spector yeah. production of Ike and Tina. Yeah. Um, so she's on all of that. So, but like, 
if we're talking about like some the of the monkeys, the monkeys, yes, yeah, you're like these boots are made for walking. Oh, Nancy Sinatra, yes. Oh. So she's the also Righteous Brothers, Glenn Campbell, Joe Cocker, yes. Wow. So as we were talking with like uh, James Jamerson, the first yeah. bass player we talked to, the Motown bass player, she was a same mm, deal, but right. where Motown was one record company, she worked for many, many, many record companies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I really just wanted to shout her out because she was very. Um, into the syncopated rhythms if you listen to pet sounds i think it's kind of mm. like the i don't know if it's the pinnacle of her bass playing but having that be such a great album is a great example mm. of um what what she brings to the table there um especially with the two bass pl- basses playing at once yeah um, good I, vibrations yes that's kind of like an iconic another I mean, th- another yeah. thing with her too is pick like we were right. saying earlier paul mccartney so you were able to really hear the things she's right. doing um and yeah, I just really wanted to highlight um, her because it's just something I think is, you know, just very, very talented in in the way she did it, and also in a industry ran run by males. Yeah, she uh, did her thing and was just, you know, also great, great glasses, great cat eyes. Oh, glasses. always with the good glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her style was always on point. And they all, they pretty much always recorded just sitting down in folding chairs with like their legs crossed, like yeah. a ton, like a room full of just music nerds yeah. just <laughs> cranking out the hits, yeah. man. Um, and she's still kicking it. I think she's like in her late 80s. Yes. Yeah? She, yeah. And she's still a beast on bass yeah. too, man. You see her play now, you're like, oh, she still got it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. She's a fat, her, her um, like use of, um, rhythm right. and melody it's just in combined yeah. together obviously that's all what music mm-hmm. is but it's she just has such a special way of playing the bass yeah. that yeah. you hear so many bass players just inadvertently like like take. emulating that yeah. yeah she was also on um francis black from the pixies um a couple years ago she played on one of his records she played guitar and bass mm-hmm. so like a modern she does some modern stuff every now yeah. and then like we'll jump in the session and it's a good uh it's like i think listening to her it's interesting because like you said like she was originally a guitar player so it's fun to hear you know what i'm saying it, it, it the fact that she was a guitar player that switched to bass there's kind of a different stylistic thing that happens when you make the switch rather than just always have being been a bass player you know and she oh. continued to do guitar sessions yes yeah. she did yeah. both um also i wanted to shout out to um another thing that uh, has in common with a lot of the bass players we're talking to that do session work um fender Precision bass, foam. flat round strings. Flat strings. Yep. So if you're ever wondering, like, why don't I sound? That's probably why that's do I sound clangy? And the flat bad. round strings, <laughs> like no bass, like at Guitar Center or any bass store, really has flat rounds on it, ready to go. But um, it seems like most bass players that are in a professional setting in the studio are playing with those. So they're fourteen dollars more. Spend the money. Yep. They're worth yeah. it. And they'll last, change they'll last string, longer. You, ch- you change flat wound strings literally when they break. Yes. Yeah. So. I've had mine on for four years. Well, and and the, they they kind of age like fine wine. You know, it's almost like the longer the flat wounds are on the bass, the better they end up sounding. Uh, I will come up with something a little bit more in contrast to that. A famous jazz bass player. Well, initially a J bass player and then switched to uh, a bass that was in the shape of many sort of astrological (laughs) stars and what not. It's Bootsy, baby. I'm going to go Bootsy Collins for my next pick. Uh, Starting off. um, Hit it and quit it. Hit hit it and quit it. Um, You know, sort of got his start with his brother, Catfish. Um, 
Uh, they they did form a funk band early on. Uh, I can't remember the name of that band. However, what was it? I feel like uh, it had something to do with fire. No, it was the Pacemakers, and then they were discovered by James Brown, and then they were he was part of like the original JBs. Because he went, "Hey man, I'll just fire these motherfuckers. You guys want to play with me? I'm not gonna pay as the story as the story. I'm not gonna pay you." As the story goes, it was like, yeah, his like the you know his original band quit, and then James Brown found out like about you know Catfish. He was uh, like Cat, in, Cat, Catfish Collins because weren't Phillips. weren't they in like Dayton, Ohio? Is that where they're from? Yeah, I th- I want to say it was like Dayton. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like they got a phone call, they get thrown onto a plane, and it was like literally they had to go play a gig with yeah. James Brown. When they got to yeah. the whatever town it was that James Brown was playing a show in, um, you know, notable tracks that he played in, you know, like um, Get Up, Sex Machine, uh, Super Bad, Soul Power, uh, and so on. So, um, they, and they only he only played with James Brown for I think eleven months yeah. total yeah. until they were finally like, all right, I'm you know we're out of here. Like this is <laughs> bullshit. James Brown's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so a- afterwards. Uh, I think the his uh, his longest sort of tenure with a band would have been, uh, you know, George Clinton, uh, P Funk, and Funkadelic, uh, which ended up leading uh, Bootsy Collins to have a solo career, which I think kind of paved the way in that way, or like put the bass player sort of as the band leader in that way and vocalist and everything. Uh, Bootsy's rubber band, like you know, I mean, I want to say I think. Earlier on, it was like there were really only like three albums. I want to say I think he he's gone on to do like solo stuff too. But I think like with Bootsy's Rubber Band, yeah, with the J- with the George Clinton stuff, I think there were three or four albums. Yeah, something like that. Um, but definitely, I you know I don't know I, I I love it. I mean, it's not for everybody, you know. Here's a Bootsy College space line. Bow. Yeah. yeah, and if you listen to any if you listen to any Bootsy Collins interviews, you know, he always references kind of what he was taught by James Brown, which is the emphasis on the one. So as long as you have the one, you can kind of do whatever you want in the middle. Um but even when he joined Bootsy Collins, I'm mean, sorry, when he joined James Brown's band, I think he was only like 17, 18 years old, yeah, you know, 19, like you know, yeah. playing with James Brown in that way. That must have been such an intense eleven months. I mean, it must have been an intense 11 months because it was so bad that they ended up quitting. You know? I think Bootsy's whole life has been intense. He he gave an interview. He said he did acid every day for 11 straight years. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing acid and nobody like it was like nobody knew too. he was just uh, tripping his balls off the whole time with James Brown. <laughs> and James times. Brown's man. Listen to the song <laughs> super bad. Yeah. And then think about being on drugs while having to play that you can't i like mean i can't even clock yeah oh i would yeah. like i just break mentally under the pressure yeah i can't imagine yeah, yeah. Just, but the, he's a dude who like he was on this like shamanistic travel well with, and then with, you get george clinton because but like you know what i mean like their whole lives was like i don't think they cared about a house or cars or like a family they no, just oh, wanted no. like when's the next show when's the next time we're connecting with this crowd and like giving our fucking preaching of our psychedelic right. space music. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yes. full, commi- full commitment to the vision, man. Yeah, like, for so sure. The vision, starting out like the bass playing, though. Yeah. So at first, incredibly technical, right. incredibly fast, um, like yeah. precise, all that good stuff. And then 
turns into like a liquid soup goop sludge in yeah. like a five year period, right? Yeah. So it pretty much turns into like soup goop. Yeah. That like every <laughs> soup goop. It, but but from going eyes like literally the benchmark of like it's James yeah. Brown's band. You're literally the tightest bass player right. on earth to getting into like a psychedelic mess out of that and yeah. just becoming like this like boom, boom, boom. yeah and you it, don't mean soup goop like bad you just mean like completely different style yeah you're right. devolving your style yeah. into <laughs> <Devolved. that. laughs> no 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 and it's not in a bad way it's in, it's in, a, in, a, in, a, you. in a psychedelic way yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's psychedelic funk N- nine levels of phasing and flanging and yeah. envelope filters and overdrives and fuzz and, and like bass. Yes. yeah and he, would, he was good for a bass solo because his James it's, Brown stuff was like yeah, kind of, kind of taking all his bass. His bass playing reminds me of that Stevie Wonder song, uh, "Maybe Your Baby." Like oh, yeah. that's when I think of like, and that's not Bootsy, but yeah. like that's my yeah. head. Like that's the the liquidness of it, you know. So yeah, very uh, and just a a, a dude who a bass player but a band leader a personality yeah like still he whenever it eventually comes out but he's like the narrator on this silk sonic project that yep. bruno mars and anderson pock are doing together um yeah iconic it's bootsy baby I- iconic which maybe is more important than than how someone plays yes yeah if they make a big impact well and the thing is too impact. is you know he he has the chops you know what oh, i mean yeah. so it's like he i in my in my view like as this sort of over the top you're talking about mutton chops right yes, he has yes, exactly <laughs> <laughs> but he's kind of like the complete package you know like he is like he has the shock and he has the psychedelia yeah. and he has the chops and he has yeah. you know and he and he plays these crazy like star-shaped bases and and everything you know and 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 he was on groove is in the heart that's true yeah but even and, if you listen to interviews with him too, he is—he's such a genuine guy, though. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. is, f- for as big as his persona is, you can see how like he's so humble and he's yeah. very kind and he's—he's he's really involved with like giving back and charity and community and uh, you know and spreading the love of music and all that stuff too. So. That's why Bootsy makes my list, just because like he, I just I love Bootsy. I don't even I don't know him, <laughs> yeah. but I mean I follow him on Instagram though, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a great he's uh, I think it's called the Tightrope Podcast with uh, what is that doctor's name? Uh, I can't remember his name, but if you look up the Tightrope Podcast, uh, he was a guest on there. And um, it's Dr. Cornell West. Cornell West. Thank you very much. Uh, And it's just such an incredible conversation. And you really, you know, Dr. Cornell West is such a great, like, persona as well. You know, like, he's so much fun to listen to. And uh, I just the dialogue between the two of them, you know, it's just all love and gratitude and spreading the love and the power of music, the healing power of music and, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. So I just think as a person, I just, I love Bootsy Collins so much and it doesn't help that he talks like this, Bubba Wubba. <laughs> so it's just, I love him. I love him so much. Yeah. He's a space guy. Yes, he is. The cosmonaut Bootsy Collins. Space is the place. Um, my, my next choice is, uh, bass player from the progressive metal band tool his name's justin chancellor he's been in tool since i think 1995 his first thing that he recorded with them was anima which was the second full-length album and he's bass player to this day uh 
he is a base a pick player predominantly. He plays wall bases, um, which are just he's a four string player in the world of metal and they down tune but he still sticks with the four string he is like he joined the band as a guitarist who switched to bass to join tool and i love his bass playing because his bass playing is like a guitar a guitarist playing bass he's not trying to be fully a bass player because the way tools music works it's so um everything is kind of locks together as one machine but the bass playing sometimes is the like do 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 and sometimes it's like like he's doing like two string playing at once um he does a lot of like long notes while the guitar does riffs uh he does a lot of cool effects like he has delays on his bass parts he has choruses he has flangers he fuzz um and I just feel like his bass playing is the underrated element in Tool's music because, you know, people love the lead vocals. They love the drumming that sounds like uh, Danny Carey has four arms because he's all over the place. And they love guitar solos, but the bass playing is underrated. Bass playing is what makes their music to me. Um, so simple. One of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,. I mean, it's his. He, I love his tone. Yeah, because it can be wholesome and warm and round and woolly, but then it can also be sort of clanky kind of thing. But it's not clanky in like the corn clanky. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's not like it's not. It has an edge to it. It's clunky. It's in the way like a like machines. Right. Right. Machines. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because that's was... what their music most reminds me of. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. It's, it's like, like a well... psychedelic machinery. Yeah, it's like a well-oiled machine because rhythmically all the, the all the pieces work together because the, the drumming is so multi-rhythmic and the guitar playing is a very riffy um, and the bass playing kind of does the like atmospheric glue in between the two. Right. Um yeah, just a great bass player and and a songwriter because their their music is so complex and it's so every time signature crammed into one song and a lot of seven to twelve minute long songs and yeah. he uh, he's one of the guys because the three instrumentalists write the music and then vocals comes in and does stuff on top. Um, so just a very precision player because every time I listen to Tool, it's like no one is off their game at all. Everybody is like. Everything they record is the best take, the yeah. best version, fully locked, fully like hitting in the note at the exact same time in yeah. a way that I like kind of like crystallizes yeah. together. And, be- yeah. and like you're saying, like it's like locked up. And if it wasn't like that, it would be it wouldn't work. At, oh, it just sound like a fucking jam band. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It yeah. wouldn't work at all. And that's yeah. why it's so like precise and mm-hmm. and in the way it is you yeah. know what i mean mm-hmm. even like you you humming the the bass line i was just you know what i mean because yeah. tool is not my favorite band by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination yeah. but i can respect this so much because it's it is cool and it is it gives you like the um okay so like almost like um electronic music has that mm, yeah. that thing where it is that but because it's a it, these are humans playing it, it mm. becomes like this whole nother thing and gives it this whole nother energy right. and the bass playing is that in a tool song it's just um 
it's like the magic glue that holds everything together because you're yeah. right the drums are doing this certain kind of thing that it's like tool drums right and yeah. then you have the guitar that is you know but the bass player is very integral in in switching out and okay i'm going to be the guitar here okay yeah. back to the bass back to the guitar right because there's back times the because they down tune the guitar there's times where you you'll be listening and you're like I've been listening to this part now for 30 seconds and I'm now just realizing that's actually the bass player and that's not the guitar playing. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm Because you're like, wait, the bass wouldn't sound like that. So it's like, it's this this trick. It's a great ebb and flow of, and especially in the uh, sonic qualities of what a bass Mm -hmm. does and what a guitar does when you switch them in the same song to do what the other one would normally do and that's like the originalness, the greatness. That's why, you know what I mean? Yeah. And their ability to keep time is so, like... Sometimes, like, you hear what they're doing, and you're like, you try to count with it, and you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, hold on. One, What's... two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, one, two, three, <laughs> right, one, right, two, right, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. And yeah. shout out to Tool just for being a metal band in the world of metal that's not afraid to play whole notes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, let's be real, metal has yeah. become just sort of like this, like, how many notes can we stuff? Too many notes. The ear can only hear so many so, in one night, you know. <laughs> uh, and that's why, yeah, man, I, I love Tool, and not for nothing. But when I saw that his name was on the list, I all I could think of was when we were talking about doing a Tool episode, and Luke's like, "Yeah, thanks for the math homework." <laughs> <laughs> you want to see me like begrudgingly sit and listen? That's a band that I begrudgingly sit. Yeah. I just yeah. don't know why. It's just never. I don't know. When I started playing bass, this is what I'll I'll end with Justin Chancellor. When I started playing bass. The, the effect pedals I got from my bass rig were effect pedals that would help me replicate the sound of Justin Chancellor. Yeah. Which was a bass big muff and a, a chorus flanger. Yeah. So, yeah. I love Justin it. Chancellor. What a tool. <laughs> <laughs> my turn, right? Thanks for, yes. Thanks for the math homework. <laughs> thanks for the math homework. All right. I'm going to go with um, Tina Waymouth on the Talking Heads slash Tom Tom Club. Tina um, Weymouth, another New England native. Yes. Bringing it back. Yeah, huh? New England. Yeah, man. It's the way to go. Um, oh, man. Actually, every single one of mine. I know. Every single one of mine are from uh, the, the Northeast. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so I chose her because um, I was trying to make a list that was all female because mm-hmm. I just um, – I didn't want to be talking about all dudes. I wanted to put different energy in here. And um, – She's a bass player I've always admired, um, and even though I'm not, like, the biggest fan of the Talking Heads, I'm probably a bigger fan of the Tom Tom Club than I am of okay. the Talking Heads. Sure. It's just, like, it doesn't always um, scratch my back. If that's You don't like songs where they sound like this. <laughs> not all the time. Um, but, like, let's talk about her greatness. So I think she is, when listening, because I um, went back and I listened to some Talking Heads, and I definitely listened to... Um, uh, watched a lot of uh, Stop Making Sense, the mm. classic um, live movie and album. Yeah. Um, so why I think Tina is exceptional is she um, really anchors this band down and is the core of what the band is doing. Um, the band is funky, mm. funky, funky, funky. And they um, put over that layer of like funk and so- like rhythm, they um, kind of are interjecting a art rock culture on top of it um but tina is very funky um very james jamerson influenced um very in the pocket um 
um very like um James Brown um influenced mm-hmm. in the the bass repetitions line. yes yeah. like um mm-hmm. uh, like let's talk about um a song to give an example um just um this is gonna be a Tom Tom Club song but the genius of love then repeat for five more minutes I can hum it though it's been sampled a jillion times by uh hip hop artist Mariah Carey um even like um like songs like like um Psycho Killer and her things are like on the beat. Yeah, you can the, stomp your foot the to The syncopation it. is the the hi-hats on the drums yeah. in right. the music. Yeah. And another crazy yeah. thing is that I think adds a lot of personality to the recordings that she's made is her husband in almost every single case yeah. is the drummer yeah. with her. So not only are you getting a rhythm section that it's just solid anyway, but it, it has this thing of relationship mm-hmm. and understanding and love and connection mm. that almost you don't get that in almost any other rhythm section yeah. so the personality and and intimate knowledge of one another also locks stepsy's grooves um and another shout out to just how um amazing the band is um that tiktok that's been going around um i forget the song uh, but it's during it's during stop making sense where um David Burns like doing this this dance, yeah, back and forth, like and, a pe- like a penguin. <laughs> yes, that but like that those clips are coming back on TikTok because they're I, so easily danceable. Yeah, true. They're you know they're great, and even the way she holds the bass, she holds it up, in like this. Yeah. And, like I was talking to Jeff before we were on mic, and she like she crab walks yeah. into the rhythm. So even her whole body is always sinking mm. into the one, into the beat, into mm. it, whatever it's going. Um, probably my favorite bass player to watch. And mm. I mean, uh, on this list of the ones I have, she's incredible and really um, innovative in the rhythms she comes up with. So like I sang like funk. So she's bringing that into like an art culture. So there's a lot mm. of different sounding bass lines that are brought into a funk idiom that are just incredible to listen to. Um, I don't. I just. I really think she's one of the, probably the most talented one I got on um, on the list. She's up there with like the Carol Kays of the world. That you know, she's very good at what she does. Yeah, she's very an, solid. She's another one where because Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club are their own unique style of music, and some people like for the longest time, twenty seconds into their song, I would go, Yeah, I'm good. All right, I'm gonna change the radio because it is very much their thing. But if you don't like Talking Heads or Tom Tom Club, just look up isolated bass tracks of Tina Weymouth because her bass playing is, yeah, it's just ostinatos as repetition and it's just groove and it's just my husband is our drummer and we practice in our fucking basement every day. And, yes. And like that kind of the lifetime commitment to it. Like someone who, as far as I know, she, the three core members of a Talking Heads met at RISD in Rhode Island. And uh, I don't think she played bass before then. I think they were just like, let's make a band. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll learn how to play bass. (laughs) And then like listened, poured over these records constantly, these Motown, these soul, these funk records, and realized, oh, I mean, like each song, I got to learn like, what is the four measure part for the verse? What is the four measure part for the chorus? And like just repeat, repeat, and just slave to the groove and... 
a great video to watch uh, Reverb um, the website oh, put yeah. up uh, um, one on um, mm-hmm. on YouTube of uh, her styling of bass playing and yeah. I watched that in pre- uh, yeah. preparation for this and that that, that points it out yeah. and like you said too I'm not the biggest Talking Head fans but um, mm-hmm. I get into their music from the bass playing that's where yeah. I come in at it yeah so yeah and and someone who like for the most part she she liked the shorter scale type of guitars so like the Fender Mustang, the Hofner violin. Um, but she also like played P basses and she played like in Stop Making Sense. At one point she's playing that giant like Thundercat style. Like guildy thing. Yeah, like 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 five inch thick hollow body one. Yeah. And she's, you know, probably a five foot tall five foot two woman and she has that thing like just jacked up into her <laughs> armpit and she's just like grooving around and stomping around and smiling and dancing and it's like yeah she's, she's yeah that's what that's what i love and i i didn't shout out yeah. what bass she played because she was kind of not yeah. she wasn't brand specific uh-huh. it was more like what do i need yeah. so yeah yeah you got michael right on uh i'm gonna go with my man jack bruce as my next pick mm. Uh, originally part of the Grand Bond organization. That's actually where he met Ginger Baker. Jack Bruce, Jack member Brett. of the Grand Bond organization. <laughs> Ginger Baker, formerly of Manfred Mann. Um, so uh, he was like a real jazz purist in the Grand Bond organization. You had obviously Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, Grand Bond on organ, and uh, John McLaughlin on guitar as well. Uh, and then after that disbanded, he, mo- I mean, I, he did a couple other, you know, he, he, he joined with John's John Mills Blues, Blues Breakers, Breakers, which there is not an album with him on it, except for London Records put out uh, an an album, like there's, an LP. There's bootleg livey stuff. That Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's one where it's like side one is John Mayall and the Blues Breakers live with Clapton and Jack Bruce on bass. Uh, which is killer. I'd highly recommend listening to it because it's so good. Uh, but then, yeah, he would he uh, from Grand Bond. That's where he predominantly played an upright bass, and he made the switch to electric bass. Uh, I think uh, it was the the Gibson SG style bass. And um, yeah, I mean, just another bass player that I think his approach to bass was so different too because of the fact that he was sort of classically jazz trained upright bass player who made the switch to electric bass uh which definitely affected the way that he played uh there's moments where if you want to say listen to you know goodbye cream uh especially the live cream stuff where you hear i mean obviously ginger baker's just in ginger baker land going fucking crazy but the stuff that jack bruce is doing is equally as just sort of all over the place and nuts and there's a lot of great moments um but you know obviously he was a phenomenal singer as well i mean not not everybody's cup of tea as yeah, far as vocals goes phenomenal. i just mean when i see like but, but dude when he goes <laughs> when he does those sort of crazy high note like Let me just i just say, think there are bands i do not like cream is near the top of that list they're not my. They're not my. Oh, see, I'm a. See, I, the I, cream I, is gone. It's sour cream. <laughs> no, it's cream man. cheese. <laughs> I love. Uh, see, I'm. I'm a big cream guy myself. But it's. See, just, I think it's I, because I prefer their style of jamming. Yeah, I right. like the free form, open floor kind of jam. In contrast to, 
Or, well, not in contrast to because the dead did the same, did had like free form jamming, but I just like I like that sort of heavy, heavy, jarring intensity, kind of like never letting the foot off of the gas, like go all the time, like what the sure. fuck is going, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but I think of the three in Cream, Jack Bruce might be my favorite of the three. I you agree. Know. He's my favorite player in the three as well. He also well. played yeah. like a, Gib- a Gibson EB0 yeah. with like the giant like cell phone sized pickup. Yeah. I've played one of those. Those things, you could turn the tone you could t- all the way up. You could turn the treble on your amp all the way up and it's still going to sound like. Yeah. Like it's right, just right. this. It's, so, I mean, it shakes the rafters. That tone yeah. is like so big. It's yeah. huge and wooly. Like it's this big it's just, mammoth tone. It, it sounds like if you took a mic right into the belly of an upright bass. Like so that's, that this is what yeah. I was going to say. So as you were saying, coming from being an upright player and then switching into the electric bass, um, a lot of his playing style is, and we haven't really touched on this on the bass at all today because we talk about a lot of studio musicians, is his form of playing is mostly uh, volume. And the volume and tone are is is his distinct style. I feel right because where other people are playing with um, um, uh, rhythm and syncopation, and um, you know, playing very close in time. Jack Bruce is is loud out and filling space with yeah. sound. So uh, he is like a um, he is chopping note like just notes after notes after notes in his yeah bass lots playing. of notes yeah. um but it's all it's all very to fill in because yeah. it's a three piece and yeah th- that's he... it's very rock and roll three piece power trio bass playing and that's why it's different than the other bass players we're talking about because it's right. it's dealing in volume as opposed to um precision. But he also did this thing, which is very, it, it is very like upright jazz bass playing thing where it's this always moving. He's always walking. He's always, but he would do these like crazy, like chromatic descending and ascending things and stuff. But he was all, he's always moving. He's never, he's never really just like playing whole notes. It's always super, super busy bass playing and crazy loud. I think the only bass player. That could probably, you could say, is similar in terms of style, and it's 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 Felix Popularity, but that's it's an obvious one just simply because he produced the Cream stuff, and Mountain was basically like kind of an extension of like the the. I think Entwistle as well is very Jack Bruce. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, Jack Bruce, another one where I mean, I remember when he died, remember, and it was like he didn't even like what what was it that Rolling Stone did? Who did they put on the cover when Jack Bruce? Was it Lou Reed? Uh, I think they died around the same time, but I'm saying, like, you know, Cream is – he's, like, the bass player. Like, he's the electric bass player of that time. So yeah. influential. Everybody after him is – you know what I mean? And right. it's kind of like he passes away, and it's like, oh, well, there you go. Bye. Yeah. Right, but it's like if you talk also, to any of the – we're know. living in a different era, and we're not English. So that's the other – True. And also you think about that time period. Like, I know that that British blues was took up a big thing – but also, there are so many different t- types of music in the late '60s. Yeah, that Cream huge band though. Yeah, yeah, but ver- came and went very quickly. Yes, but uh... came and went very quickly. But it's when you have personalities like you had in that band, you know that that self dis- like it self implodes pretty pretty fucking the thing fast. That, the thing I always liked about his playing, I will say, is because he is such a busy player and he was their here their main vocalist. That was pretty, uh, pretty unique 
to be able to play the type of things he was playing while also singing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And singing stuff that rhythmically didn't necessarily right. line up to what he was playing. That's yeah. so hard to do. Because like, he was more so of a difficult. like he was more of a blues vocalist, like not singing in time. He would mess around with phrasing while he sang, but yeah. he's still doing that. Doo, 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 right. Doo, right. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah. So uh, why I don't need we take a pee break? Yes. Let's take a quick break. A this, pee base break. A pee base break. We will be right back. Most of us, i.e. comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. Jeff? And we're back. Yes, it's Jeff's turn. Yo, did Flea make our list? Oh, no. Tick didn't make it either. What about Grasshopper? Oh, God. No, you have to be fully clothed to make the list. Less Claypool? Uh, uh, less Claypool. Yeah. <laughs> less, please. <laughs> less is certainly not more in this case. <laughs> no, I mean, credit, you know. You know. Respect. Yeah. His name is Mud, after all. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're going to do two more picks each. We have fully devolved now. Um, <laughs> Much like Bootsy Collins' <laughs> style. Two more picks each. Uh, my fourth pick for uh, bassist I'd like to highlight is the bass player for Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones. JPJ. Um, a dude who, when I think of Led Zeppelin, he's like the fourth remembered person to most people, and he is such an important part to that band. If you think of this band in this analogy, where you have, uh, let's say John Bonham is the thunder. Let's say Jimmy Page is the lightning. Let's say Robert Plant is the rain. John Paul Jones, he's a black cloud looming. Because mm. he he just, he brings the atmosphere. He is the foundation, not rhythmically, but like just his bass playing is always, it's understated and underrated, and it always just fits the song. And a great blues rock bass player, great multi-instrumentalist beyond that, um, and songwriter and arranger and all that. But the bass playing... Again, another dude, flat wound strings, J bass most of the time into like an Ampeg combo amp um, and just a nice thick sound, kind of like one of the definitive bass sounds of hard rock music and uh, enough said. Great bass player. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out for like a song that you feel highlights. I mean, for, I would say, I would say immigrant song. Okay, Ooh, I like nice. that. Because that's, a, that's a great show. Of the try to play it. It's like it's one of the greatest runs going up yeah. there during the all oh, this feeling. Yeah, yeah like that. I part. can play that song at about half the tempo of yeah. the actual song. <laughs> great, great shout out to the bass playing. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, what is and what should never be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, I'll 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 give the obvious one, dazed and confused, yeah. simply because it's the slow brooding boom 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 
the chromatic descent, and then into the fast part. Again, like immigrant song, try and fucking play that. It'll break your hands. Like your hands will cramp up. And if you see them play that live and the song remains the same, you're like, how is this guy sustaining this bass line for as long as he sustains it? It's like, I there's no way. I could never do that. And he's still kicking. He, he plays still. He did that project, them Crooked Vultures with yep. Dave Grohl and Josh Homme. And uh, yeah, yeah, just an iconic hard rock bass player. You're here. I'm going to go for my uh, shout out with uh, the queen of cool, Kim Gordon. Uh, um, she is the queen of cool. She really is. Um, Sonic Youth. Um, so the along with Tina, like uh, you were saying, um, she was one of those people who was like, I want to be in a band and they didn't really have an instrument. So they just learned how to play bass in um, just for the, the means of starting a band. Um, so Kim Gordon started that band with um, Thurston Moore the guitar player and her ex-husband and she really um came at the bass in a very strange way because she had no um laurels about what it should be or what it shouldn't be um because Sonic Youth was really a devolved rock band she really um was the only one putting structure in <laughs> a lot of the earlier stuff um and i really just like her um her the way she um inserts herself in that band um that's already has so much loud characteristics in the guitar and really just like holds down um, some kind of um, normal musical structure in it. Um, if I'm going to shout out some songs, I would go Greenlight off of Evolve. That's a, um, a plunkier, simple bass line that shows that she kind of like, you know, could play something that would like, it's almost like childish in the way it is, but it um, adds to the creepiness of the song. Um, something that I would think is like um, one of the her signature um, sounds is I'm like thinking like I'm playing the bass over here. Um, is Death Valley 69. Um, it's fuzzed out. It's distorted. It's That's her bass, you know, sound. And then, um, you know, even, like, something else like Hey Joni, where she's really, like, thumping out, like, a cool under rhythm um, that the guitars are just kind of, like, you know, throwing out of her hard chords on. But um, she really came up with some interesting stuff, especially later, um, where she was, like, kind of reinvented herself on the instrument on, like, um their first major label uh record goo she um like cool thing has like a crazy cool bass line on that um i just think she's very um cool and she adds um, a lot of like um underrated rhythm in that band i think she's very integral to it you know yeah that band has a lot of different layers and kind of just like sonic explorations on guitar a lot and she keeps things rooted and yeah and I really love people that come out. She's single now, man. Yeah, I know. I uh, would. Maybe. I would. I wish. <laughs> Take her on. I wish. <laughs> Take her out for a nice fish dinner. Yeah, she's so cool, man. <laughs> she's so cool. She's good looking. Oh, um, so on top of all that stuff, though, um, I love the bass she plays in like um, like the uh, mid-80s with Sonic Youth. It's like this mm. giant like Japanese thing. It's mm. brown. It looks like uh, it looks horrible to play, but I love it. I just really like her. Um, I like people that come out an instrument with no um, knowledge of it, really, and are mm. just trying to, like, do anything on it. I really like the childlike nature of what comes out of that. And, like, Tina, um, Kim Gordon, and then um, the last bass player I have is also like that. So I really enjoy that. It shows a different characteristic of what the instrument can be and a different idea of it. Um, you know, it's like throwing paint somewhere it shouldn't be or something, right? Because she's that kind of artist. So yeah. I think she brings it to everything she's in. And uh, yeah, so yeah, she brings it cool right into the base. So right on. 
Uh, my next pick, I'm going to go with the uh, the amphetamine fueled madman himself. Oh my God, uh, Lemmy. Yeah. We are the road crew. Lemmy's here in the studio today. Right, as I was, I was playing bass with his mom, Yeah, the ghost um, of Lemmy. The ghost of Lemmy. Lemmy is God, as they say. Uh, I love Lemmy. Uh, he is sort of, you know, you either love him or hate him, I guess. Same thing maybe for Motorhead, but I love him for the simple fact that he brought the sort of spirit of Little Richard and early rock and roll into the heavy metal conversation. Because mm-hmm. if you asked Lemmy, he would say, we play rock and roll. Okay. We don't play heavy metal. They're a rock and roll band, right. you know, just just hyped up on <laughs> amphetamines and, <laughs> you know, Jack Daniels. But another iconic bass player in the way that a pick player played a Rickenbacker through, like, huge Marshall stacks. Obviously, crazy loud band. I mean, Motorhead's one of those bands that's, like, you know, like, teeth-shatteringly loud. He is way different from all other bass players we've talked about, too, because he primarily plays the bass like a... Lead guitar. guitar player. Yes, yeah. and yeah. plays chords. Yeah. A ton yeah. of power chords. A ton of chords, yeah. Big, big power chords. Uh, I thought I, I saw an interview with the drummer who said, like, well, one of the drummers, that said that, like, Lemmy was just so difficult to follow because he wasn't, like, a <clears throat> conventional bass player. It's not like he was re- – you know what I'm saying? So um, – but just an incredible bass player in his own right, and also just a badass motherfucker in the way that that dude was literally dying of prostate cancer and still playing shows full on. Like he just that train. He, I mean, it's better to burn out dude. than to fade away. And that dude went out in a fucking fireball of an inferno. Like that dude never, he never compromised what he wanted to do for anybody, and he was always true to himself. And uh. He played a Rick like a badass. Played a Rickenbacker like a badass. Always had some badass boots. <laughs> <laughs> and in the words of Lemmy Kilmeister, never do cocaine. It's far too expensive. Do speed. It's much cheaper. <laughs> and <laughs> it'll, it'll fuck you up much better. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, I mean. A maniac. A, a complete maniac, but, you even know, like. Sh- even when you're saying a maniac, rock and roller. Even to strum a bass like yeah. a guitar is, is a yeah. crazy thing to do. Like, my hands, I couldn't do yeah. it. So yeah. it's, it's and another one who was out of necessity, like playing bass in Hawkwind, like the bass player didn't show up one day and he was just like, all right, I guess I'll play bass now, you yep. know, and then just went for it and did it. And I mean, there's a reason why people say Lemmy is God, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's just he's fucking Lemmy, man. You can't you know what I mean? Again, it's not Motorhead's not for everybody, but it's for me. I love Motorhead. So let me kill Mr. Killmeister, Killmeister. Shout, I mean, let's shout out also Ace of Spades for one of the greatest <laughs> bass, greatest bass intros ever. <laughs> so good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my last pick is a contemporary pick. He's a guy who's right in his prime currently, and that's Joe Dart, who plays with Wolfpack. He plays with Theo Katzman's solo stuff. He plays with Rhett Madison's solo stuff. He plays with Fearless Flyers. He is like... Uh, a bass prodigy who got picked up by the Wolfpack guys when he was like 18 years old, a college freshman. And he is a dude who loves James Jamerson and Pino Palladino and Rocco. Uh, what's Rocco's last name from tower of power? Prestia, Rocco wow. Prestia. Um, he in, depending on what the song needs, he is someone who can play crazy 16th note, Jaco Pastorius type of stuff. Or he can sit back and sag and just like give you 
give whole notes and just be in the groove um, like he does with the Theo Katzman solo stuff. He uh, is an absolute beast. Uh, importantly, the first Wolfpack single was called Beastly because his bass playing is just so monstrous. And I recommend, if you don't know Wolfpack, they're a great funk pop funk band um that uh most of their i would say about half of their stuff is in, all is instrumental and then half has vocals and a good thing to check out would be the live at madison square garden concert because it shows you how good that band is and especially how good joe dart is because the whole concert is taped and it's one camera view that just the cameraman is on stage and he's just like wandering around and showing you everybody so it's an one continuous take of like an hour and 20 minutes show. And it shows you that like this dude plays his ass off every second that he plays bass. Um, so Joe Dart is my fifth pick. Love it. Joe Dart of the Joe Dart bass. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. Definitely. And I've watched that uh, live in my square garden. Very good. Incredible. Very good. Yeah. Incredible. That, band is, uh, that dude, you watch his fingers go and you're like Whoa. and he's yeah. always cool as a cucumber and he does just, this like crazy chicken like pecking at the ground head yeah, like man. slamming the whole such time such <laughs> a crazy good bass player man yeah. he's next level alright my next pick here I'm gonna go uh, Kim Deal of the Pixies Um, so Kim Deal is I mean out of all the bass players I talked about today on my on my list Kim Deal is probably my favorite bass player um she, for me, she does this thing where she got her bass is pretty plunky sounding, but she kind of plays like um these rhythmic like um sixteenth notes, eight notes, like the dum 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 like gigantic. I'm humming the bass line from that song, um, but um she really plays with a pick, um is really rith uh rhythmic, um does a lot of like you know up and down da da dum 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 strummy stuff. Um, and I really like how she plays like counter, really simple counter melodies from what the guitar is playing. And it's never that off, but it moves enough and stays um, interesting enough. And I always listen to it. Um, like it always like stands out to me. So um, that's, you know, why I like her. But um, songs, I think, like show what she does the best. Um, Pixie's um, song, Dig for Fire. Um it has this great like dum 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 kind of thing going on, um, where she's going down and the guitar's going up. Um, I also love uh, debase her. Dum 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 dum. She has these great great lines, and um, the Pixies were also good for letting the bass hang on um a verse, and the guitar maybe comes in on like the halfway through the verse or the second line of the verse, and she was always great at like um having that quiet, loud dynamic with the guitar, and then it would build up together. Um, like I said earlier too, another person that picked up the bass just for the um purpose of forming this band. Um, and I I really like her ideas, and she really brings um uh, that energy into the Pixies um with her bass playing, and even is so evident in her other band, The Breeders, where she plays guitar of all the energy she brings into the Pixies. Um, I just really, really like um, that style of bass playing. And it really comes off to me as angular and rhythmic. Um, just very straight in angular. Not really like melodic, but, mm. you know, just kind of like chugging on a rhythm. So yeah. that's why I really, really, really love her. So Nice. My final pick is the uh, 
the the hawk himself, <laughs> the squawking bird of a man, Getty Lee, baby. Uh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Again, Rush, not a band for everybody. Couldn't he just play bass? No. Come on. Who said I? I, I, I... <laughs> I think Rush would suck if they had another singer. I think they would. Hardcore. More or less. <laughs> More. Just kidding. More. I think I think his voice is the um ends up being like the, the, the That's kind of the thing. The personality of yeah. it. Yeah. Um I I just not talking about Getty Lee as a vocalist, as a bass player. Um, you know, I think the first record he used the P bass and then by Fly By Night time he switched to the Rickenbacker and then sort of ended up going on to just using a jazz bass regularly um i just love his bass playing because his attack is so different it's much more in the school of like the chris squire from yes kind of thing where it's super super aggressive attack like everything about his bass playing like his right hand is just so it he 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 doesn't like pluck the strings he hits and snaps you know like and that's the thing that i absolutely love about his bass playing um again not for everybody but that i mean rush i think it's one of those bands where you know i mean i i i love alex lifeson but you know it's it's neil pert and getty lee together man that just makes that band for me like rhythmically just like so so good so michael also picked um three power trios you picked what a surprise motorhead you picked cream you picked a rush rush you're very power trio-y. I love power trios power, because that's I, your that's your base style. It is my base style because I I like I like sort of like that I I I like when bands lack another guitar player so the bass player has to like sort of pick up that I don't want to call it slack but you know yeah. what I'm trying to say has to like yeah. make fill in fill, that space. Uh, fill the space where it has to become interesting you know like you have to kind of like put something into it and yeah I'm I mean it's I, it's I'm not ashamed of it and it's no big no, surprise I, like I I'm, I'm a big power trio guy also shout out to our episode power to the trio yeah they, no I like it because Jeff went all studio guys pretty much or like background guys guys are the people that are hidden you went all pretty much all power trios, heavy rock and roll. Yeah, and then I went all feminine energy punk and rock. Over yeah, here. punk rock. Yeah, like alternative. Stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's a good. It's a. It's a well. When you add the fifteen all together, it's a very well-rounded list for sure. Can um, we do this? Can we? Um, can we each mention two honorable mentions, just a name and a short blurb? Sure. Um, so two that didn't make my list. Uh, Michael League, who's a bass player and band leader for Snarky Puppy, which is a jazz fusion band. He's like the mastermind behind it, and he plays very understatedly, but very precisely. And my other one is Mono Neon, who's like... Oh, who's like, man crack one day. <laughs> who's like a funk fusion, like, uh, what would you call that? A performance art type of yeah. player who can play any s- single thing... Uh, just yeah. of complete fucking weirdo. Also, left-handed upside down. Yeah, bass player. <laughs> yeah. Which I was like, I saw because he's got a he's a great Instagram follow. Oh, yeah. By the way, yeah. uh, what's the other? It's Mono Neon. What's the other one? Mono Farts Neon. <laughs> yeah. Or something. yeah, yeah. Uh, great Instagram follow. But yeah, when I saw him playing, I was like, first of all, why is he wearing like a full like crocheted outfit? Outfit, <laughs> including his head. Yeah. <laughs> like his whole face is covered. But also, yeah, like the the upside down. Lefty bass playing was like uh, he's like a genius though. 
Yeah, right, right, right. It's right. very interesting. You see yeah. that. A savant. Like, yeah, a those, savant. Those are my two honorable mentions. Right on. Uh, right on. I'm going to go uh, John Edsel from The Who, um, one of my favorite bass players. Mm. Um, just thunderous, um, completely the only guy like really holding down anything in that band. Um, uh, just creative, great, um, and loud. Uh, plays a volume. Mm. So that's another one. Shout out. Um, and my other one, I'm going to go... Uh, Mike Watt from the Minuteman, um, completely like a jazz bass player playing in a punk band. Um, the best punk bass player. Um, he also filled in uh, when the Stooges reunited and was their bass player. Um, so check it out. Um, yeah, Mike Watt, double nickels on a dime. Great bass playing. Right on. Um, ooh, this is a tough one for me, but I'll out of yeah, damn it. I'll go with. My first one, which actually was on the original list, but I was like, I don't know if it would, if it wouldn't. I don't know. But I'm going to go with Donald Duck Dunn. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I think that... Booker T and the MGs. Yeah, Booker T and the MGs. Like, he's another one that, like, I think, like, man, he holds it down, dude. And then, to me, it's fucking Booker T and the MGs. What's not to say about that? Like, Shout out to our Motown episode from earlier this year. Yes. No, not Motown. Stacks, sorry. Stacks. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and then my second... Ooh, it's a toss-up, but... Um, oh, who do I want to go with? All right, I'll go with Cliff Burton, just out of respect, yeah. because he was like such a heavy influence on me as a uh, as a metal consuming youngster. Uh, he was probably the first bass player that struck interest in me wanting to play bass, and just a yeah, a monster bass player, like yeah. in his own right. I mean, for whom the bell tolls, like yeah. you can't really, you know. And Orion, and I mean. When it came to like the creative force behind Metallica, he was the creative force behind like all the good Metallica stuff. So there you go. <laughs> so a recap of our of our top five. Uh, mine were James Jamerson, Pino Palladino, Justin Chancellor, John Paul Jones, Joe Dart. Mine were Cure Rossler, uh, Kim Gordon, Kim Deal, and Tino Weymouth. Way Weymouth. Weymouth. Another one. Oh, and uh... Carol Kay. Yeah, Carol okay. Kay. That was my miss. Uh, and mine were Paul McCartney, Bootsy Baby, <laughs> Jack Bruce Lemmy, and Getty Lee. Cool, man. So there we have it. Uh, obviously, there are far more bass players that we did not mention in this podcast, but we definitely uh, implore you, the listener, to listen to the bass, guys. The bass player is the person who fills that low-end void. And uh, if you ever listen to a band that doesn't have a bass player... You can tell pretty quickly that they don't have a bass player. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's tell us. <laughs> let's not. All right. Until next week, guys, this has been Get in the Garage. Make sure you like and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating if you enjoy our uh, program. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.